thank you for your help as well, too. Now my wife has to do a mad dash upstairs. The devil's angry. Do you know that? What have we been preaching on the last three weeks? The Antichrist. He doesn't want us to have this sermon today. I mean, everything that I thought last week was bad, everything that could go wrong went wrong this week. And one of the things is, remember last week I had the computer up here all hooked up and it was all nice, and we was able to see the slides up up above. By the way, the Lord really blessed. Someone says, my children are beginning to understand what's going on as you're preaching about the Antichrist, and that's good. But this morning when we hooked up for Sabbath school to hook up the computer, it wouldn't work. We hooked up another computer to it, thinking maybe it was my computer. The other computer wouldn't work. So we had to take the computers upstairs, and at first they weren't working upstairs either. Then we finally got it. I don't know how, but the grace of God put it together. And so now I've got to have my wife push the buttons, and I hope that she's attentive. And if not, if you see me throwing my shoe... I'm trying to get her attention. And if I miss, you know what amazes me? Take a look how many people are seated here today. And we've got some in the balcony. The Lord has really blessed. You know, I've been here almost eight years now. When I first got here, I could take a hymnal and throw it out here and not hit anyone. Now if I throw it, you better duck. When I was in Omaha, Nebraska, before I became a pastor, there was a woman by, they called her Sister Mary, a Catholic nun that responded to a brochure that she decided that she wanted to attend the evangelistic meetings that the brochure talked about. Now that's not her, that's just to show you what she wore when she came into the evangelistic meetings. It's kind of amazing when she came in and she sat down. This is not on the script, Gene, so don't look at it. When she came in and she sat down, how many people got up and moved away? And she was kind of sitting all by herself. Um, that, that was a shame, you know. But she attended every night, every meeting. And then she visited with the evangelist when he came around and talked to her, and she made a decision, and we watched her baptism, just like you saw today. Sister Mary was baptized and became a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a decision, by the way, that caused her to lose her job as a teacher at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. She was a professor at Creighton. Have you ever heard of Creighton University? It's a Jesuit university. And uh, they very quickly said, uh, we don't need your services any longer. And she was fired. Mary was asked to speak at the Adventist church in Omaha about her conversion experience. The church was packed. It was overflowing. People were standing just to listen to her. They came from all over the eastern part of the state. And... uh, 
a hush of expectancy came on the crowd as she came up to the pulpit and she began to talk. You see, the people were expecting Sister Mary to, to down the Catholic Church, to name names of individuals to watch out for in the community, um, to name people that she thought that was no longer trustworthy, and all the little nasty plans that the Jesuits, uh, how they would try to infiltrate into the churches. The Jesuits used to dress like that a long time ago, but nowadays they don't. They dress in suits, and, and uh, there are female Jesuit priests now. Uh, surprising, but there are some. And uh, they just thought, sure, that she was going to really talk about the nasty things that the Jesuits would do as they infiltrated into the churches and try to corrupt the people of God. But to their disappointment, and they said so afterwards, they said, we were disappointed. To their disappointment, Mary spoke mostly about the love she had for her Savior. Isn't that something? Yet people were disappointed. They wanted to hear the gossip. And the only thing that she said about her former church was this. I thank God for the Catholic Church because it started me on the road to heaven. She said if it hadn't have been for the Catholic Church and her good Catholic mother and father, she would have never learned at an early age who Jesus was and would have never have headed in that direction. So why am I telling this story to you? Two reasons. First of all, there are many people in the Catholic Church who will be in heaven. I am very, very convinced of that. They are very dedicated and love the Lord. The second thing is some of you know that today I'm going to talk about the Antichrist in the church. And you may be thinking that I'm going to name pastors and churches and conference personnel and names of Jesuits disguised as Adventist leaders secretly infiltrating into the denomination. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you because I'm not going to do that. So if you want to get up and leave, you can leave right now. When I talk about the Antichrist, and last week, you know, we've been talking about it, but when we revealed who the Antichrist last week was, and the predominant uh, part that is going to play in the world at the end of time, I must add a little uh, caveat to this. Really, the Antichrist is the influence that Satan has on unsuspecting church members that leads to confusion and to lifestyle change and to make them go away from God's teachings. And it's such a slow process that the people don't realize. I mean, they don't get up one day. The Pope didn't get up one day and say, well, I guess I'll deceive all the churches today. It is the influence of Satan on individuals within church leaderships and within the churches themselves to begin to pull away from God. So really when we talk about the Antichrist and, and the Antichrist looking upon our church, does that look like two horns up there? Yeah, that's what I thought too. When the Antichrist secretly spies upon the church, 
He wants to work in any denomination to draw them away from Christ and from the teachings that God has been leading them through all the centuries of this world's existence. Which means that he would love to get into this church and to draw you slowly away into compromising areas so that you are not following what God says, but you beginning to follow his influences to make lifestyle changes and to do those little things within your life that you think isn't going to hurt anyone, but in reality hurts the church of God. Let me show you what I mean. The other Sabbath, we took a look. I think it was the second Sabbath we looked at the Old Testament story of David and Goliath. Remember, I used it as an example of David and Goliath of being the Antichrist. Goliath being the leader of the pagan worshipers. And David, who came and stood up against Goliath with using simple faith to overcome that powerful domineering force. Remember when we talked about that? Well, there are actually six things that led the Israelites to this era in their life where they came up against Goliath. The influence that Goliath had on, on uh, or that, not Goliath, but the Antichrist satanic deception used on the pagans to be able to try to draw God's people away. Let's look at the first example, if you remember, in 1 Samuel 8, verses 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. That's what uh, they, they wanted a king. They didn't want to be uh, led by judges anymore. They didn't want God to be the main ruler of, and guidance within their life. They wanted a king. So they decided and they gave this information. So the first thing is, is they refused to listen to the prophet of their time. Samuel was getting old. His ways were old. And they didn't want to listen to him anymore. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want to hear what God said to Samuel that went to the people. Take a look at Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. Here Jesus is speaking and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and, the, and stones those who are, are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God's people turned against the prophets of God that God sent to them to lead and guide them. In some cases, he, they killed them. And then he says, see, your house is left to you. The house, what is the house referring to there? The church. Your church is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the problem was, 
was they was rejecting the very ones that God had placed within the church with a message of God directly from heaven to be able to guide God's people through all kinds of situations. The Antichrist spirit of Satan desires God's people to reject the gift of prophecy in their time. They persecute anyone that says that they must believe in the prophet of God. Now we are a church that believes in prophecy, aren't we? Okay. Well, that was kind of weak. All right. God says to Joel, go to the next one, Gene. I will pour out I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. God says that that's going to happen before Jesus comes. But how are we going to believe that God's going to send our children to be prophets if we don't believe in the prophets that he sent in the past? And so we as a denomination, one of the things that we believe in is this gift of prophecy. But now we downplay the role of prophecy within the church. Some churches refuse to allow quotes directly from Ellen White. Satan makes us doubt the prophetic gift and he doesn't want us to use it. The second thing is the Israelites not only refused to listen to the word of the prophet, but they wanted to be like other nations. That's why they wanted a king. I want, we want to be like the other nations. They have kings. We want to be like it. The Antichrist spirit moves God's people to be influenced by the secular world. We see it in the philosophy of our churches nowadays. To attract the secular world, that's their goal. Do not preach, thus saith the Lord. Now what do I mean by that? What they're saying is, is we don't want to offend anyone by our preaching. By preaching the truth. So we have now began within our denomination to adopt the worship style that is conducive to entertainment instead of worship. Okay. Influences from people like Rick Warren's Saddleback Church in California. You familiar with that? Okay. Do you, go back one, Gene. You see how he's dressed? That is the dress style now of the churches. Brothers and sisters, let me share with you something. The reason why she went on, I don't have this in my notes. When God set up his church, when he set up the temple, when he set up the priests, he made sure that the priests were dressed meticulously. Because they were going before God. 
And when they went before God, they dressed like they went before God, like I am proud to serve my Heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, it is a privilege to come to church because we ask the Lord to meet us here. And when we're meeting with Him, it's hard to come in with dirty jeans and t-shirts unless that's all we've got to wear. But if we've got better clothes, we need to be wearing our clothes because we're sitting here before God. Now the other person is Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois. Their example is do never ever preach doctrine within the church. You preach doctrine on a Wednesday night meeting to those people who want it and come in for prayer meeting, but you never share anything that will offend the person coming in off the street. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said the truth shall make you free. And if you cannot accept the truth, then we can't sit here and cover it up and whitewash it and say that it will go away. The truth is what we believe in. The remnant of God's people is here to preach the everlasting gospel. The truth, the three angels' message, and we should not be ashamed of it. The other thing is, is to be able to take the name Seventh-day Adventist off of the church signs. To be able to say we are a community church. That's what I say. No. Seventh-day Adventist gives a uniqueness of our beliefs. We worship on the seventh day and we're waiting for the second advent of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should be proud of the fact that we're Seventh-day Adventists. Now, the other thing that they do within the, within the churches, these churches, this lifestyle is, one of the ways that they train, they say that you need to adopt a worship service that stimulates the five senses. You know what the five senses are? Go to the next one, Gene. Touch, smell, taste, hear, and sight. A lot of touching goes on. There's nothing wrong with touching. They may have things that are brewing out into the foyer that you smell as it wafts through the air as you're worshiping. Uh, they may even give you something to eat before you come in. They certainly do a lot of things to stimulate your hearing and then things to be able to see with multi-screens and everything else. You would say, that's not bad, but let me show you something. When God met Elijah, remember when Elijah had that experience where he called fire to come down out of heaven and burnt up his offering and burnt up the altar and everything else was there? Then he ran away, and as he ran out in the wilderness, he asked God to kill him. Can you imagine that, having an experience like Elijah had? And then the next moment you're asking God, take my life and let me die. And God sustained his life and, and uh, this poor old guy went in and ran into to the, uh, to the cave. Actually, he's trying to hide from God is what he's trying to do. But God met him there. God always meets us where he wants us. And if you remember, God had three things take place. 
There was the experience with the wind, with the earthquake, and with a fire. Now let me tell you that all three of those experiences touches all five senses. You can see it, you can hear it, you can smell it. When there's fire burning, you can actually taste it in your mouth. So it it stimulates all the five senses. But you know what God said in those three things when it happened? I'm not there. You can't rely upon your senses to have the revelation of God. Because it's not going to happen. So to be able to to have your worship service in such a way that it stimulates and sometimes overstimulates your senses, thinking that this is the movement of God, this is the way that God wants to go, let me tell you something, God is not there. But God said then to him, he said, you know, in the, in the still, quiet voice, you know, in the Hebrew, it literally reads, in the quietness Go back one. Go back one. Out of the quietness of absolutely nothing, God says, I'm there. You know what that means? I can't see him. I can't hear him. I can't smell him. I can't taste him. I can't feel him. But he's there. You can't rely on your senses. God is there and he's waiting for you. And, and you have to realize and accept that at, by faith. And in many churches, they've removed that title, Seventh-day Adventist, so we don't be recognized as a denomination. They're working on our senses. But God says he has chosen us to be a royal priesthood, a chosen people. You can go to the next one. Not the five senses. Go to the next one royal priesthood, a chosen people, a peculiar and a peculiar people. That's who we are. And we have to admit that that's who we are. We dress differently. We worship differently. We're not afraid of thus saith the Lord. We, we don't rely on senses. Our senses, we rely on faith. Don't you think that when Pentecost happened, the people noticed and recognized the disciples of God. Don't you think that when Pentecost took place, go to the next one, Gene, when Pentecost took place and the tongues of fire came down upon them and they began sharing, what did they share? Did they stand on the street corner with tambourines? Did they pull out their guitars? They went out and they preached the truth about Jesus Christ. And thousands were converted in one day. Thousands were converted. We are to be a light, Jesus says, to a world. And we're not to hide under a bushel. We are to be recognized as the remnant of God's people in the last days. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm still like the Apostle Paul. I believe in the spirit of prophecy, for the Bible says in the book of Revelation. Here, go to the next one. No, back one. You went too far. Back. See how the devil is getting us? Go back. Go back one more. 
Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Okay? So here are they that keep the commandments of God. We know that Revelation also tells us that the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We believe we should be a church to be proud. Proud of the fact that we had a prophet within our church. And her message is for the church in the last days. Isn't that what we're living in? So we need to to go back to those books, to go back to those things that are to help God's church to make it through in the last days. We know that Revelation also tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and I'm not ashamed of it. Christ is my example. He is my testimony, and I want people to come to our church and to worship in spirit and in truth, for the truth shall make us free. Go now to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you and the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. Next. Deuteronomy 7 continued. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughters for your son, for they will turn your sons and your daughters away from following me to serve other gods. What is this saying? No intermarriage. Why? Because they're going to take us and deliver us out of God's hands. They're going to have an influence on us. They're going to be a part of our lives. We are not to intermarry. 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. With who? Unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Doesn't make sense. And what communion has light with darkness? You can't have darkness if there's light. And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Next slide. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? It it, it doesn't make sense. For you are the temple of the living God. What are we? We're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Next. Therefore, come out from among them... And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Brothers and sisters, it's very clear in the Bible where it talks about that we're not to be unequally yoked. We are to marry like believers because it makes it a whole lot easier. If you remember, I told you that the Philistines started intermarrying with the Israelites, especially with the tribe of Dan, Samson married a Philistine girl while in the territory of Dan. The trend today in our church is to marry non-Seventh-day Adventists. How many times I, as a pastor, have talked with young wives who've married outside the church thinking they would convert their husbands only to find out that their husbands have no interest in the church at all, 
desires to maintain their own lifestyle and influence the children away from the teachings of God. 90% of the time, an unequally yoked marriage doesn't work and ends in a divorce. Marrying non-believers is an anti-Christ tactic to disrupt the church and to disrupt the family. But you might be saying, but I'm already married to an unequally yoked person. Do you know that you can become the example if you remain strong in the Lord? It's not going to be easy. But you can win them over to Christ by your example. So brothers and sisters, if the Lord says that it would be better for us to marry like believers, then maybe we should take that very seriously when we look for our life companion. The odds are always against us anyway for the divorce that takes place, but it shouldn't be as high as was it is within our own denomination if we would only follow God's truth that he shares with us. First Samuel 17. And the Philistines, that's Goliath, said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly what? God's people were afraid. Can you imagine that? Was afraid. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Look who it was that stood up against Goliath, the smallest of the small. All the rest of them were afraid. They didn't want to go. The fourth tactic that the Antichrist spirit uses against God's people is fear. God's people were afraid to confront the opposition. They were afraid to speak against the evils of the world. That's the way we are today. Doesn't the Bible say that perfect love casts out all fear? Do we believe that? But we still act in fear. So if fear stops us from sharing with others or speaking against sin or taking a bold stand for God, what kind of a spirit is causing us then to fear? It's the Antichrist spirit. It is the spirit of the devil himself. It's time, it's now time as God's people to step out of our comfort zone and be proud of the fact that we can do something for God. We've got to learn to stand up and to say, on with God's message. 1 Samuel 17, verses 28 and 33. Now Eliab... That's the oldest brother of, of uh, well, what's his name? I'm tired. <laughs> I've had a long week. Heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused. Who was he aroused against? He was against David. Can you imagine that? And he said, why did you come down here? Go to the next one. And Saul, here's the leader. Here's who the people wanted. We want to be like the rest of the people. Here's the leader of the church. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Sometimes family members and friends and church leaders 
discourage people from following God's plan. I've seen it time and time again where some young man or some woman says, you know, I believe God is leading me in this direction. And a parent says, you can't do that. You'll disgrace my family. Brothers and sisters, if God is leading one of my children or one of my grandchildren in a direction, then what am I to stand up against God and say, don't go in that direction? Look at what Peter said when Jesus revealed his plan of his death to his disciples, Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Who was it that was causing Peter to say such a thing? It was the Antichrist spirit that was coming into him and rebuking his Savior. He just says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior. And then he says, far be it from you to be able to go in there. The devil comes in and tries to discourage the very ones. Peter thought he was doing the right thing when he rebuked his friend for following the plan of God. But behind the scene, it was really the Antichrist influencing Peter. Go to Matthew 16, verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Was Peter Satan? No, but he was being influenced by Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Why? Because he was not, he was trying to stop Jesus from doing the Father's will. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. God has a plan for all of us, He has given us gifts. We should encourage each other in these gifts. Sometimes we try to discourage our children when God is calling them into the ministry or being a, a church school teacher or doing a missionary project. We discourage them because we have other plans and ideas for them and it doesn't always seem to fit into God's plans. When we try to reroute the plans of God, that's the Antichrist working in our lives. I remember the chairman of the religion department when I first went to college. He called me into his office, and when I first was there and was going to become a minister, he told me that, that he didn't think that I had what it takes to be a minister for God, that I should go into some other field of study so that I won't waste my money on the expensive tuition. But I knew at the time, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God was calling me into the ministry. I've been in the ministry for over 25 years now, and a lot of the other men who were his favorites in school are no longer in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Who was the influence that was working on the religion uh, chairman of this, this college to try to discourage me? It was the Antichrist beast. He finally admitted, he says, far be it for me to be a stumbling block if you believe that God is leading you in that direction. Take a look at 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 and 39. Did you go too far? There we go. So Saul clothed David with his armor, 
and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail, again a coat of armor. David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these things, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Do you know what we try to do? We try to do things on our own power. Here's the biggest identifying trait of the remnant church. Revelation, oh, we try to fight Satan, I forgot that one, with our own weapons and strength. Ephesians, I jumped a page. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong, wow, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Weapons that we have today are no, nothing against the Antichrist. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Zechariah says, It's not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord. We must be praying for the spirit of the Lord in order to fight against the devil. Nothing else will work. He'll defeat us every time. The major weapon that Jesus used against the devil when he was being tempted in the wilderness is, it is written. And the devil will try to influence us not to study or memorize Scripture. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will use the Scriptures that you have memorized to be able to fight the devil. But if you refuse to memorize Scripture, you have lost one of the biggest weapons to fight against the devil himself. But we'll go over here to the Sabbath school, and in many cases we'll see these young little kids who are very defenseless that don't even know the memory verse for the Sabbath school lesson. We're taking one of the biggest weapons away from our little children. I remember one church that Gene and I had where they started, the entire church started to memorize the entire book of Revelation, and they did it. They would stand up each week and begin to recite the book of Revelation until they, they got through clear to the end. The Antichrist spirit has an influence on us to keep us from studying together, memorizing scriptures, having our children memorize them. He keeps us from praying together for the strength of the Holy Spirit. We can't allow that to take place anymore. Because of time... Let's look at one more area where the Antichrist satanic influence is getting into our church. Here's the biggest identifying trait of the remnant church in the last days. Revelation 14, verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see that part that says, keep the commandments of God? I could spend all day on this, but I'm going to narrow my sermon down to just 45 points now. No, just 
three, three more things. Satan makes sure that we haven't been keeping all the commandments of God. What do you mean, Pastor? <laughs> I, I've been keeping the commandments of God. I don't have any other God before me. He's the only God in heaven. I don't bow down to any graven images. I don't use the Lord's name in vain. And I remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I keep the commandments of God. Do you know, most of the time, we as a church, we emphasize the first four, but we forget about the last six. Does it say, here are they that keeps the first four commandments of God? It says, here are they that keep all the commandments of God. But we often forget the last six commandments, how we relate to others. I often get calls from secular people who are doing business with Adventists who tell me that they've been cussed at. I was in Home Depot, not well, this last summer. And I was going down one aisle, and I heard on the next aisle, I couldn't see who it was, but I mean, there was some cursing going on like you wouldn't believe. It would have made a truck driver curdle. So I had to go around the other side because what I wanted was not there. So I went around to the other side of the aisle, and guess what? It was a Seventh day Adventist who was cursing like you wouldn't believe. I get calls from people who say that they have been cheated because of business practices within this. The next one. I have some that says they've swindled me out of money. I've paid them for services and they never carried through with the services. They refuse to pay money that they owe. Brothers and sisters, if I make a commitment to someone, I need to follow that commitment. God would, wouldn't he? Next one. I get calls from the FBI checking out Seventh-day Adventists. I should never hear from the FBI. <laughs> but I do. And they says, is so-and-so attending your church? Yeah. Do you mind if I check things out and they'll ask me questions? And it isn't that they're checking security. Something is going on. Next one. I have actually had church members embezzle money from their workplaces. I even had a former pastor when I came in and took over the church that later on they came back. He had dropped out of the ministry. He went into business and the, uh, the authorities came and says, we are investigating this pastor on embezzlement. You need to check the books of your treasury to see if he has taken any money out of the treasury. Next one. I've actually had people say that they have taken money, go back one, taken money out of the offering plate. When the deacon goes by, it's easy to take the money out and slip it in your pocket. When you start stealing from God, it's a bad deal. So, all these things are happening. Look at Matthew 25, verses 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. 
I was in prison and you came to me, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, and take you and clothe you and visited you? And the king answered and said unto them, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Do you think it's important to keep the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments? Jesus says it's very important. We need to do that. By not keeping the last of God's commandments, we shall be cast into the everlasting punishment along with the Antichrist. The Antichrist wants us to interpret how to keep the commandments of God. Hmm. Some of us still try to interpret how to keep the commandments of God instead of relying on the biblical instructions for keeping the commandments. Dare I ask any here, how many of you spend more time working during the Sabbath hours than worshiping on Sabbath morning? Oh, I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse. I can work on the Sabbath. But if it's disrupting your spiritual life and that of, the, of your family, is it the right thing to do? And if it isn't, maybe you better check your priorities. The Antichrist will try to do everything to disrupt your Sabbath from keeping it holy. Do I talk about, do I, do I even dare talk about doing our own delight on the Sabbath day, watching TV, going to sports games? I used to have a youth leader that he was the best youth leader I ever had in the church until football season when college football was on and he was always absent on Sabbath because of the football games. The Sabbath is a day to get our spiritual batteries charged. God instructs us how to keep holy and if we do any other thing, it is to our detriment and to that of our families. I wonder how many families actually keep the entire 24 hours of the Sabbath holy from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. I'm seeing more families who treat Friday night like any other night of the week. And it's just as holy Friday evening when the sun goes down as it is today. When the Bible talks about the commandments of God, we often think that it's only referring to the Ten Commandments. Actually, it refers to all the teachings that God has throughout the entire Bible. All the teachings. So do I dare go into what we eat and what we drink? Unclean foods and alcoholic beverages? How about what the Bible teaches about divorce, homosexuality, adultery, and pornography? All these are disrupting our Adventist homes today. But we want to ignore the biblical teachings and defend the sinful acts and make excuses for our behaviors. But the Bible says, Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. I cannot keep the commandments properly without having faith in Jesus. And I lose my faith in Jesus if I'm not willing to keep the teachings and the commandments of God. Is the devil trying to disrupt our church and our families? You better believe it. But the choice is yours. Do you allow the influences to go on in your homes? Or do you stop and take a stand for Christ? And will you be willing to stop and take a stand today? As we sing the final hymn, I want to make an appeal. There are some that are sitting in the church this morning who are being influenced by the devil himself.
You know it. And maybe you think that you're hiding it, but probably the rest of your family knows it too, especially your kids. There may be some, yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Next one, Gene. So there may be some here who are being influenced by the devil. There may be some, next one, Gene, there may be some here who are being touched by the Holy Spirit to make a commitment today and desire, there may be some of you here that might be desiring to prepare for baptism. If there's any of you that fit in these categories, I want you to come down to the front so I can pray and talk to you. I want you to come down while we sing the closing hymn, hymn number 318, Whiter Than Snow, 318.